Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome in. Welcome to episode 71. Episode 71 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Terrific to be in on a Monday. Got a day off. Um, I'm working like the next, I don't know, like seven days in a row. So, um, but I had a day off. So I got some show notes together, ready to do an episode. Got a lot to talk about, especially NBA. Um, and then uh, at the end of the show, I've got another interesting thing that I'm going to talk about a new thing that I've started. You may already, if you listen and you, you follow, uh, just follow me, you may know already, but we'll get to that at the end of the episode. But to start it off, uh, the NBA championship, the NBA finals have concluded. The Raptors did what many thought would have been impossible at the beginning of the series and won the 2019 NBA Finals 4-2. They won Game 6 of the NBA Finals, and Kawhi Leonard was the Finals MVP. Um, I mean, a lot of people would have thought this was impossible at the beginning of the series, even with Kevin Durant out. He only played part of Game 5 before he went down with an Achilles injury. Um, Game 6, it looked like it was going the Warriors' way. Clay Thompson was having a game at 30 points, and then he went down with uh, a a knee injury, tore his ACL in his left knee, and I kind of gave my thoughts already on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, gave a it was like a quick three or four minute video, just uh, initial reactions of the game. Um, but people are gonna people are gonna think like, oh, the Raptors. You know, they, they defeated a depleted Warriors team, a Warriors team that wasn't at full strength. And so some may think that this championship has some level of taint on it or something like that. Um, I disagree because I think I think injuries are a part of the game. Uh, it's just how it happens sometimes. It's just how the cookie crumbles. Injuries are going to happen. And yeah, the Warriors suffered two catastrophic injuries within two games of a championship series to two of the top 10 best players in the world. Kevin Durant goes down with an Achilles injury. He's going to be out nine to 12 months, depending on the severity. And Clay Thompson's going to be out for most of next year as well. And it's really, it's, it's an unfortunate occurrence, but it's part of the game. It's just how it happens. And people forget that, this is kind of how the Warriors won their first championship back in uh, 2015. LeBron had no Kyrie. Kyrie got hurt in, it was either game one or game two. I think it was game two. And Kevin Love was already out for the playoffs with a uh, dislocated shoulder. So they were, they were already facing a team that was depleted. <clears throat> and so some may argue that had the Cavs been completely healthy, that the Cavs may have won that championship. Um, we'll obviously never know, but people forget about that a lot of times. I mean, it's very, it's a very similar situation because Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, although Kyrie may be a top 10 player in the league, Kevin Love was probably a top 20 player in the league at the time. Obviously, nowhere near to the level of Clay and Kyrie, and the injuries were nowhere near as severe, but they were out nonetheless. 
and the Warriors were able to win because of it. Not taking anything away from the Warriors, they played a better series. They were the better team. Um, same situation with the Toronto Raptors. They were the better team, and you know you can't hold. They, they can't be victims of circumstance. It's just it's how it is. They they deserve all the credit in the world for taking down the two-time reigning defending champs and the team that's been to the finals five straight times and has won three of them. Can't take anything away from them. But it is interesting because the NBA next year is going to be totally different because the Warriors are no longer going to be the league's best team. The the Warriors will not make the NBA finals next year um, unless Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant make miraculous recoveries um, and that's also assuming that Kevin Durant resigns as well, um, and Clay Thompson. But let's just assume that they do. There would need miraculous recover- uh, recoveries to for the Warriors to be even considered uh, title contenders. Um, I th- I still think they're a playoff team. They can make the playoffs for sure, but. They're not going to be the same team they were, obviously. They're missing two of the league's top 10 players and arguably the best player in the world in Kevin Durant. They're just going to be a far different team. And that blows the West completely wide open um, with teams like the Denver Nuggets, who are young and up and coming, had a, a pretty good playoff run this year. The, the Blazers made it to the Western Conference Finals. The Thunder obviously had... Uh, they're a talented team. Um, the Rockets have been a really good team for a while, and every time they go up against the Warriors, they they fall short. So you got to think that they're probably the favorites in the West as currently constructed. The West is wide open, and then the Eastern Conference, it looks like, uh, assuming that the rosters stay the same, Kawhi staying in Toronto and and all that, that Toronto may run the East for the next couple of years. It's going to be really interesting to follow the NBA and see how things shake out over this offseason because it's really going to shape how um, how the league's going to look next year. It's going to shape everything. <clears throat> so I, I don't know necessarily if the Warriors dynasty is, I would say the dynasty's over. Because a dynasty is prolonged success over, uh, you know, several years. Whether it's, you know, three championships in four years, three in a row. Um, the the Ch- Chicago Bulls won six in eight years, or six in nine years. So it's prolonged success over multiple seasons with not much of a break of success. Uh, there's no break in that success. Uh, you may lose the finals, but you're still the, you know, an odds-on favorite every year to at least make it back to the finals and win it. Um, but I do think the the Warriors they're not going to be title contenders next year. Um, and if they retain both Clay and KD, I think if you give them a couple years, they're still Steph is still a really good player. He's a a top three player. KD when he comes back. He may not be quite the same for a little bit, but he's still going to be one of the league's best players. Clay's a shooter, and so he's going to be fine. 
And then obviously if they if they keep that whole team together, they're still going to be as talented as any team in the league. I th- I think the Warriors will get one more championship eventually and it's not going to be next year. It may not be the year after. But before it's all said and done, before you close the the chapter, close the book on on the Warriors and end their final chapter, I think they're going to have one more title to their name. Because I think they're just that talented and these players are going to recover from their injuries. How soon? That's to be determined. Um, and then with the Raptors winning, a lot of people were asking, is, is Kawhi now going to stay? Or is he going to move to LA, go to the Clippers or the Lakers, or does he go to New York? What is he going to do? And I propose staying in Toronto. I think that's what a lot of people would think. You get to run the East. You get to run a conference. You have a whole entire country behind you in Canada. And you'll be the best player in that conference. Uh, I don't know why you would want to leave a situation like that where you can be the best team in the Eastern Conference year after year. You just beat the Warriors. So if you can beat the Warriors who have some of the best players in the world, you can beat other teams from the Western Conference. Plus, you get more money in Toronto. You can get much more guaranteed money in Toronto. And here's my philosophy on it. Um, And I've touched on this several times before. I don't know why, uh, when when looking at this Kevin Durant situation, Kevin Durant, I would re-sign because I don't think he's going to want to lug himself out to New York or Brooklyn or wherever he goes, wherever he would want to go have to play 75 or 80 games a year if he if he's not joined by another star plus play playoff games on a body that's you know 30 years old and older and only getting older you're putting more and more miles on it every game you play why would Kevin Durant want to lug himself out to New York with his injury history play 80 games play a first or second round uh, second round worth of playoffs, playoff games, and risk your your overall health when you can stay in Golden State, you can take your time on your recovery, and you still know that your team is going to be solid and is going to be a playoff team without you. Um, that's what my philosophy is if I'm Kevin Durant. I would re-sign, try and get the max, or just opt into the final year of the deal and just have a sense of security while also getting your max dollars and preserving your health. And so that's a philosophy. I think a lot of free agents are going to mirror this offseason because I don't think there's going to be much movement. Kawhi Leonard... I would stay in Toronto because you've got a good team. He only played 60 games, 60 odd games this year. He sat out about 20, 25 games due to load management rest. So you can do that again in Toronto next year. Because in the Western Conference, which is much tougher, I mean, you have a lot of teams that are viable playoff contenders. You're going to have to play a lot more in the Western Conference. Nothing is guaranteed. So Kawhi would have to 
you know, go out to LA where he has injury history as well and potentially risk his health playing more games in LA when he can stay in Toronto, do the same exact thing he did this year, have a ton of money, make a ton of money because he can make a lot more in Toronto than anywhere else and just have that sense of security. I think that's what you're going to find a lot of free agents doing like a Jimmy Butler. He may stay in Philadelphia and, and get his max dollars. Um, Clay Thompson's going to stay in Golden State. They're going to re-sign him regardless of the injury. The only superstar that's going to leave is Kyrie Irving. He's not going back to the Celtics. He's either going to Brooklyn, uh, New York, or the Lakers. Brooklyn is the most likely. He's the only he's the only superstar that in free agency will change teams for his own reason. It's going to be an interesting offseason to see where these free agents go and see how this Kevin Durant injury affects uh, free agency as a whole and the makeup of the league next year. And I wanted to be careful not to spoil what uh, this next topic and what I was just talking about because this is a huge story. It just broke yesterday. Uh, the Anthony Davis trade saga is finally, it's it's over. Anthony Davis has been traded and the LA Lakers got their man. The LA Lakers got who they wanted and Anthony Davis got to go where he wanted to go and where Rich Paul wanted him to go. And that's teaming up with LeBron James in LA. Uh, the trade details, Anthony Davis goes to the Lakers for Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round picks, including the number four pick in this Thursday's NBA draft. Um, and I really, I actually love this deal for, for both sides. Usually the team that gets the superstar uh, always wins the trade by a wide margin. Like it's usually never close. But this is a situation where I think both teams benefited and both teams are actually going to be pretty successful as a result. For the Lakers side, they're getting that second star to pair with LeBron James. And that's important because the Lakers this season were probably not favorites to land any superstars in free agency. They weren't in a position to do so. They had enough space for almost two maxes. And... They, they weren't front runners to land anybody in free agency. So getting Anthony Davis makes your destination much more attractive. And it satisfies LeBron James because LeBron James threatened to request a trade and, and, and leave LA if he didn't get another superstar by this season. Uh, so that's huge for them. But even bigger, they managed to keep Kyle Kuzma. And if you had asked me that, a couple months ago, would the Lakers be able to keep Kyle Kuzma? I would have said they should try to keep him at all costs, but they're probably not going to be able to. They were, they're probably going to have to give up Kuzma. Kuzma's probably going to be the focal point of the deal. And they managed to keep him. And that's really important because the Lakers love Kuzma. The Pelicans thought he was their most valuable asset, but the Lakers wouldn't give him up. And that's that's critical. And I think... Pairing LeBron and AD plus Kyle Kuzma, that is the best front court on paper in the NBA. 
Kyle Kuzma is a guy who can score 20 points a game on any given night and be really solid and consistent for you. He can shoot a little bit. Great score. And he's going to complement Anthony Davis and LeBron James really well. And so I think it's stunning that he that Rob Palenka was able to keep Kyle Kuzma. Um, now they did give up quite a haul, even though they didn't have to include Kuzma. They the the three first round picks. Obviously, this year's was really valuable, and I would have given that pick up. Uh, you would have to, um, but I'm not really worried about the other two first round picks uh, in the following seasons because with Anthony Davis, the Lakers are going to be a playoff team. Those picks are likely going to be outside the lottery anyways. Um, and so those picks aren't as valuable. It doesn't, doesn't matter as much to me. Now you can get steals like Kyle Kuzma was the 27th pick in the draft, I believe. So you can get steals in the late, late first round and stuff like that, but it's less likely to get a great player. So that doesn't worry me as much. Uh, but I do think the Pelicans, they got, they they benefited a lot as well, just looking at the other side of it. The Lakers get the star, but the Pelicans, they get a lot of future assets. Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram have their own injury concerns, but they're both really, really solid players. Brandon Ingram can get you 18 a game. He does have the blood clot issue in his arm, but um, all indications point to him being fine for next season. Lonzo Ball, excellent passer, and pairing him with Drew Holiday, who are both um, pass-first and defensive point guards. It's going to make them a, a really good defensive team uh, out on the wing, um, on the outside. And then Josh Hart is an excellent rotation player who can come in off the bench, can start even for you as well. And then assuming, which is a virtual guarantee, the Pelicans are going to take Zion Williamson with the number one pick. Your potential lineup could be Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and then... If you want to play small, you could put Josh Hart in there, but that would be a really that would be a really really small lineup. Or depending on that fourth that uh, that fourth pick, what it turns out to be, um, whether it's a guy like R.J. Barrett, or maybe if they decide to go big man, which that would be a little bit of a reach, but if they do, uh, that would round out their starting five. Um, it's really interesting for both teams. And I think it could even be more interesting for the Pelicans. Like this morning, just thinking about it, I was just thinking about this this morning. The Pelicans can be really good with this core in a couple years. You obviously give time for Zion to grow and for this chemistry to build with these young guys. But what if they trade that number four pick, put a package together, and they try to land a superstar shooting guard in that of Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal would be a tremendous addition to the Pelicans and it would make them way more interesting than they are now. And they're they're already pretty interesting, but you would have 
they wouldn't be able to trade any of the players that they got from the Lakers. But maybe if you want to put to put send over Drew Holiday or some players on your bench, um, along with that fourth pick, you bring in Bradley Beal. You could even trade some future picks. Um, you could have Bradley Beal in that lineup. So you could have Lonzo Ball, Bradley Beal, Brandon Ingram, um, Zion Williamson. And then whoever your five man is, maybe they retain, they re-sign Julius Randle because um, he's a, a unrestricted free agent this offseason. Uh, they could bring in a guy like Nikola Vucevic. Um, it's really, really interesting. Uh, they could bring in a guy like Bru- Brooke Lopez. It, the Pelicans, they'll need some time to grow, but if they make a trade for Bradley Beal with that fourth pick, which is what they absolutely should do, and it was something that I argued the Lakers should have done if they weren't able to get Anthony Davis. Like, the Pelicans could be a really nice team in a couple years. Uh, you give them two years, and they'll be at the top of the Western Conference with the Lakers, with uh, the Warriors once they get healthier, um, the Rockets if they stay together. Like, the Pelicans can be a really, really nice, balanced team. Just imagine Lonzo Ball throwing lobs to Zion Williamson. That would that just looks incredible in my eyes. I can just picture it now. Um, it's just really intriguing to me. The idea of Bradley Beal with Lonzo and Zion and, and Brandon Ingram. You have Josh Hart coming in off the bench. You bring in a guy like Nikola Vucevic. That would be a really interesting team. Certainly uh, extremely watchable. And it would make the Pelicans an, ex- an, an extremely attractive destination for free agents in upcoming years. Um, now, now that the Lakers have acquired Anthony Davis, it's interesting how their offseason could go because... Had they have waited on this trade, uh, the trade can't be finalized right now. So um, if the deal would have been done after July 30th, if they would have waited over a whole month to get um, to acquire Anthony Davis, they could have saved a whole nother, I don't know, seven or eight million in cap because of that fourth pick. They would have been able to count that fourth pick as cap space um, and free that up. Um, But since they did it before the draft, um, which obviously benefited the Pelicans because now they can decide who they want to draft or if they want to trade it. um, Since they did it before the draft, they don't have that $8 million. And so what they had in cap space, which is around what would have been around anywhere from 28 to $32 million close to a max slot. They'll now only have about 23 or 24. Um, and that, that kind of, that's, that's kind of difficult to, uh, fill out the rest of the roster, especially if you want to bring in another max level guy. I don't think the Lakers need to bring in another max level guy though. They don't, 
they don't need to bring in a guy like Kemba Walker, Kyrie, Kawhi Leonard. Um, and the only one that I think would would join the Lakers out of those three would be Kyrie because he's played with LeBron and he's shown interest in playing with Anthony Davis. He's the only one that's likely, but you're going to have to ask him to take a pay cut. He's not going to want to do that. And then you're not going to have a bench. You're not going to have, you're going to have to sign a bunch of guys to veterans, minimum deals, mid-level exceptions, and you're not going to be, you're not going to have a good bench, which is why I propose you just fill out the rest of the roster with uh, solid, solid guys, solid rotation players, and and create depth. You don't need a superstar point guard running your offense. If they retain Rajon Rondo, who can create for others and get to the basket and plays good defense, that's good. I like Rajon Rondo in the Lakers system. He can't shoot, but he can create shots for others. Now they could also bring in a guy. Uh, another point guard like a Darren Collison who's a slasher but can shoot. Um, they don't need a superstar point guard. They just need someone who's able to create shots for others, play solid defense, and and hit some jump shots. Um, now let's say they bring in a guy like Darren Collison on the cheap. Darren Collison's your starting point guard. You then have LeBron James, Kyle Kuzma, and Anthony Davis. Um... Now, if you want to go a big lineup, you could go out and sign a center like a Nikola Vucevic, who I, who I like, or maybe you go out and get Brook Lopez again, re-sign him. You could have a really big lineup, but that would mean Kuzma's playing the two, so that's probably not going to work. You bring in Kuzma off the bench, and then you could bring in a guy like a Danny Green at the shooting guard position um, who can hit some spot up shots. He doesn't need the ball. He can move without the ball. That would be a great fit as well. You just need guys who are solid, who can do things that, although maybe not as dominantly and as well, but just do things similar to that of a Kyrie Irving or a Bradley Beal, Clay Thompson, a guy who can shoot, can move without the ball and is significantly cheaper. So you can fill out the roster, have great uh, depth on the bench and have a really solid starting lineup. I think this move and then with their cap space and depending on how they use it and, and they spread it out and they get depth, the Lakers will be the best team in the Western conference on paper. Obviously I have to say on paper because we don't know how they're going to mesh together. And the LA Lakers back in 2012-2013, they were a great team on paper. They traded for Dwight Howard. They traded for Steve Nash. They had Pau Gasol, Meta World Peace. They had a really good starting lineup with Kobe Bryant. But they were awful. They didn't play well together. And it ended badly. That was the beginning of the end of Kobe Bryant's career right there. And it didn't work out. So I have to say on paper because LeBron and AD may not work out. I would like to think it would because AD is not a he's not a guard. So he's not going to dominate the ball all the time. So I would like to think it would work out. But you just never know. But I think 
if that's what they do, they fill out the roster with the rest with that cap space they have. They're going to have a really good team. They're going to be favored in the Western Conference to make it to the finals. They're already favored to win the title next year by Vegas. That might be a little bit of a reach because I still think they need they need more money to fill out the roster more uh, evenly and and get better players. But they're certainly capable of winning it this year because uh, the West is wide open, in my opinion, and I think it's it's the Lakers' conference to take. Um, this trade is extremely important with the Warriors essentially being gone for a year. Um, and I'm extremely excited. And I think the NBA was rooting for this hard because the NBA is much better when the Lakers are good and they're interesting and they're fun and they're exciting. This was a perfect deal for the Lakers. Some may argue they gave up too much. You that you had to give that up. You had to make this deal. They will not regret it. This is this is what exactly what they needed and then the Pelicans get a major jump start on the rebuild and could be even better come draft night. And speaking of the Western Conference being wide open, um, the Houston Rockets, they've been probably the second best team in the West over the past three seasons, and they just haven't been able to get over that Warriors hump. They forced the Warriors to seven games last year. They forced them to six this year, and they just haven't been able to do it, and they haven't been able to get it done. And so now their championship window is open with the Warriors essentially being down and out for a year. But the only thing that might get in the way is some turmoil. Uh, CP3 and Harden are kind of butting heads right now. They're two alpha males. They're two ball, very, very much ball dominant guards. And there's reports that CP3 wants out because they haven't been able to to get it done over the uh, last couple of years. These are Harden and Chris Paul are both guys who are hungry for a championship. It's the one thing that's eluded Chris Paul's entire career. Chris Paul might be the best player in the league right now without a championship. And it's unfortunate that they're going through this because if they just stay together, they stay the course, they could be NBA champions next year. (laughs) They could make it to the finals next year. Like they've got to recognize that the Warriors are not going to be the same team. They may make the playoffs. But they're not the same team, and they're the and the, the Rockets have a tremendous shot to do some damage in the playoffs, go to the finals, and and if you take it on the Raptors again or whoever, you have a good shot to win. I understand that it's difficult having two alpha male guards on the team. I thought they were going to struggle at first when they first teamed up because they're both ball dominant guys. They both need the ball to succeed. But it's worked out. It has worked out. They've been a really dominant team. And they just haven't been able to get over the hump and go to the finals. And right now, their title window is wide open. A lot of people, once they got knocked out this year by the Warriors, thought maybe they should blow it up, start from scratch, and build around James Harden. 
But now, with these injuries to Clay and KD, it blows the whole thing wide open and your plans do not have to change now. You don't have to blow up the team. Keep it as constructed and the Rockets will have a a really good shot of making some noise in the playoffs and going to the finals and getting that championship that's eluded James Harden and Chris Paul to this point in their careers. More so Chris Paul than James Harden, but you get my point. Very interesting. Um, I'm extremely excited for the NBA next season and what comes of the offseason with this AD trade. How are the Lakers going to build the rest of the roster? What are the Pelicans going to look like? Are the Warriors still going to be a playoff team? What are the Rockets going to do? Are they going to blow it up or are they going to stay together? Um, where's Kawhi going to go in all of this? Because if Kawhi goes to the Clippers, they're instantly a much better team and maybe the best team in the West. It's really interesting. That's why I'm really sad that the NBA is over, but I'm extremely excited for July 1st because that's when we'll know or we'll begin to have greater greater ideas of where these marquee free agents are going to go and how the league is going to look next season. All right, so we just talked a ton of NBA. It's super exciting stuff, but we got to transition now. Um, I want to get into a little bit of MLB news. Just one quick headline. Um, bit of trade news. The Yankees have made a trade for the American League home run leader Edwin Uncani- Or Jeez, ow, I totally butchered. I was about to butcher that name mightily. Yankees trade for American League home run leader Edwin Encarnacion. Got it. Boom. Um, so they traded. He was with the Mariners. The Mariners aren't a great team, so obviously they're going to be selling come deadline time. And he's going to one of the best teams in baseball. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball right now. But the Yankees obviously getting a player who has been a power hitter his whole career. One of the most consistent home run hitters over the past eight to 10 years in baseball. Encarnacion is extremely good. A guy you can just plug in with Aaron Judge and and uh, Giancarlo Stanton, which Stanton, I believe, is playing with the minors right now, uh, rehabbing from injury. Uh, but he should get called back up soon. You're putting... Encarnacion with those two guys, um, I mean, that's going to be the best home run hitting team in the league come the end of the season. That's just, that's just great stuff for the Yankees. And they obviously missed out on, on a pitcher, a great pitcher in Dallas Keuchel who signed with the Braves. So they were obviously looking for a player who can protect leads in games, but now they get a guy who can extend leads. <laughs> so really it's a great addition and it's achieving really the same goal that the Yankees had in mind of just being able to continue winning games. Uh it was either you know keep leads with a great pitcher, a great starting pitcher, have great starts to games and then close it out well with your bullpen. 
um, or get a home run hitter to put with Judge and Stanton who can just mount a huge lead. And no matter how big the lead is, like the the Yankees offense is going to be able to to keep keep you on par with the opposing team and and blow a lot of teams out. So it's really a good move by them. Just a quick headline in baseball. Um, season's much too long for me to do like a ton of different headlines because not all of them mean that much. But I think this is very meaningful, and this is going to be a very impactful player come playoff time for the Yankees, Edwin Encarnacion, the American League home run leader. And he was tied for the home run lead in all of the MLB. So pretty good pickup there, if you ask me, for the New York Yankees. Um, So a little World Cup action. I've been following it a little bit. I watched England and uh, Argentina the other day. And that was a really good matchup. Um, England uh, beat Argentina 1-0. England really just dominated time of possession for most most of the match. Um, That was... uh, It was really just a tough, grinded-out win for England um, because they really didn't play well. And they they were able to get the win and just, you know, keep Argentina from getting the ball. Um, and having their opportunities to score and kept those at a minimum. Um, and England, leading up to the World Cup, had been playing extremely well. And so sometimes a team that was playing as well as England needs a match like this where not everything is clicking, you're not crisp, you're not uh, really smooth on offense. And so uh, you just you have one of those games where you just got to grind it out uh, be tough mentally and just capitalize in just critical moments. And that's what they did because sometimes when you're playing as well as England has, any team who's playing really well can kind of get uh, sucked into this uh, false sense of safeness and security and think that they're just going to go into every match uh dominating and that's not always the case so that was a really good uh great win for them um a couple of days ago and that allowed them to advance to the round of 16 which is not totally finalized yet um because we still have um the third match day going on today um the u.s um they defeated chile three nothing yesterday um so obviously that's huge for them because they obviously won 13 nothing against um, Thailand um, about a week ago and then you beat Chile three nothing their their goal differential right now is plus 16 that's huge in the World Cup because it's not about just wins and losses and draws it's about it's really about the goal differential and what I mean by that is if uh, if you're in the World Cup and you're you've won the same amount of games as another team and it's going to determine who moves on to the next round goal differential comes into play let's say you both have a 2 and 1 3 and 1 record whatever it is just an example just spitballing here like 
the U.S. has a, a 16 goal differential, plus 16. That's huge, and that's automatically going to put teams five steps below them. <laughs> like that's why it's incredibly important. Um, but I am looking forward to the U.S.'s next matchup because they're going to be taking on Sweden, and Sweden was really dominant against Thailand um, yesterday as well. They beat Thailand five to one. And if we're looking back at their other matchup, they beat Chile 2-0. So that's a, a plus six differential. That's one of the highest of the World Cup so far. Um, so that's that's huge for them as well. Um, and that's going to be a tough matchup because Sweden and, and the U.S., they've been pretty dominant throughout the World Cup so far. And hopefully, hopefully the U.S. hasn't burned out all of their goals in, in two matches. Um, because Sweden's got a lot of offensive firepower and it's going to be a great matchup. Um, that match is going to be uh, on Thursday at 2 o'clock. Um, so, got a couple days, but um, that's going to be really exciting. And Thursday is actually the last day before, before we head into the round of 16. Um, so, right now it's um it's get it's becoming crunch time now for some of these teams in the world cup um it's kind of do or die for a lot of teams who haven't won all of their matches to this point um it's what they like to call the knockout round um where basically if you lose uh now um, it's really going to severely hurt your chances of moving on to the round of 16 um, come Thursday. So really critical that teams play their best soccer right now. Um, just looking at, at some matches going on today. Um, China and Spain, I believe, yeah, that ended in a draw. 0-0. Zero, zero. So, um, yeah, so then... Uh, Germany and South Africa. Germany won four nothing, and I believe Germany has actually had a great World Cup as well. They've defeated Spain one nothing last Wednesday, and then I, I'm not sure if they played on the first match day or not. Yeah, they and then they beat China one nothing. So um, they've got a plus six goal differential, which is going to be pretty high across the all teams in the World Cup, all groups. Um. And then France is playing Nigeria right now. I was catching a little bit of that earlier. France is up one nothing. Um, Norway. I was actually I uh, wa- I was watching a little bit of this match as well. Norway and South Korea. It was one nothing before I hopped off of there and came in here to record this episode. Norway ended up winning two to one over South Korea. Um, so good match for Norway. Um, but looking at some matchups for tomorrow, if you're looking to to catch some soccer action, Italy and Brazil, Jamaica and Australia, Japan and England, Scotland and Argentina. That, that's actually on Wednesday, and Japan and England's on Wednesday as well. Went a little too far there. Uh, but tomorrow we'll have Italy and Brazil, Jamaica and Australia. Um, so those are some matches to look forward to. Italy actually has 
one of the better goal differentials as well. They beat Jamaica 5 nothing. Um just last Friday and they beat Australia 2-1 last Sunday. So they're they've got a plus 6 goal differential as well. I mean, there's three teams right there with a plus 6 goal differential. And then the United States obviously with the 13 or the 16 the plus 16 goal differential. So critical as we're heading towards the round of 16 for the FIFA Women's World Cup. Great stuff. Looking forward to the rest of this week with match day three and some of these other matchups determining the round of 16 for the World Cup. So great stuff. Um, But now getting to the part of the show where I wanted to introduce something that if you haven't been following me, with social media. Um, obviously I have a Twitter account and I've been getting better at being active on, on Twitter, um, over the last week or two, but I wanted to start a page on a new, uh, social media, um, starting a Facebook page. So it's a part of my, uh, regular account, just my personal account. Um, William Ford, I go by will, but William Ford and, I created a page called the Will Ford Show. So if you search my account, you can probably find it on my account or you should be able to just search uh, under pages, just the Will Ford Show and it's just listed as a podcast, um, which I need to add a description to it because I didn't know you could do that before, but I'm going to do that. Um, But basically that's a page where, you know, obviously I can post some sports content onto there, um, put out those episode links put some thoughts on some sports news like the other day. Yesterday, I put out some thoughts on the Anthony Davis trade. I put those on Twitter and on Facebook. So just a little more interaction, trying to um, just increase my reach. Um, I invited all my Facebook friends. And so, so far, I've got over 80 likes on the page, which is huge. I'm extremely thrilled with that. Um, and my friend, Alec Bell, he shared the page. He invited his all of his friends as well. And so I'm really thankful for that. It allowed me to get over 80 likes on the page so far, and it's continuing to rise. Um, but also that page, you can you can DM me on Twitter or tweet at me on Twitter. I'm certainly open to that, and I encourage that. But I also created the Facebook page with the intention of engaging listeners and viewers. And I want you guys to ask me questions on Facebook, whether it's through uh, just a Facebook Messenger, direct message. You can even just tweet, or not tweet, but just post on the page um, or tag me in a post or something and ask me questions about sports. Ask me questions about anything. And, you know, I'll do the absolute best I can to to answer them. Um, whether it's, you know, NBA, football, uh, baseball and hockey, I'm not super refined on. I'm not super knowledgeable. Same thing with soccer, although I love the World Cup. Um, not extremely knowledgeable, but I would, I'm certainly going to do the best I can to answer your questions to the best of my ability. And I actually did get a question uh, yesterday. I believe it was just a direct message um, from Garrett Moore, a great friend of mine. And I'm going to go to it right now if I can find it. So let me just pull it up here real quick. But I wanted, I obviously messaged him back and we talked about it. 
but I also want to talk about it on here because I feel like I didn't do a tremendous job of answering it with uh, answering it definitively. I feel like I was a little too neutral on the subject. Um, and reading it back, reading my responses to him, I, I understand um, kind of what it appears I was talking about when really I had a different thought in mind. Um, but he asked me, following the trade of Anthony Davis to LA, which would make LeBron and Davis an unstoppable force, which is correct, do you believe professional sports are rigged? A lot of people may think that's a question that's kind of just like out of left field, not related to that topic, but it it actually, it really is. And it's, it's a great question. And my response is, no, I don't think professional sports are rigged. Um, specifically with games. I don't think professionals, professional leagues like the, the NFL, NBA, I don't think they rig games. They may attempt to try and rig a game through a professional or like through referees. They might try to sway a game a certain direction, but they're not going to ask a team to throw a game or miss shots on purpose or purposely not score a touchdown when they can easily do so. They can try and get refs to, to get the game to go a certain way to create a certain result. But generally, games are not rigged. Games go the way they go. The better team, whoever plays the better game, wins. Um, now, I do think leagues root for certain things to happen. Like, they love this Anthony Davis trade stuff. This is why, see, I, I feel like I'm being a little too neutral again, trying to explain this, because it's kind of difficult. Because this really is genuinely my opinion. I don't think they they don't fix games. There's been talk about it in the past several years ago that they referees have tried to fix games, but I don't think I don't think the games themselves are rigged, rigged or playoff series or championships. I don't think those are rigged. What I think is rigged um, are trades. And things like that, because I think the NBA roots for things that are interesting. They want things that are interesting because it's better for their ratings and better for their brand. So this Anthony Davis trade certainly is one where you could say maybe the NBA pushed the Pelicans to get this deal done to send Anthony Davis to the Lakers. Um, so, and my thought process process on it is the Lakers are much better with stars, obviously. And the NBA is better. Uh, the NBA is better off with the Lakers being good and interesting. And so Garrett agreed with me on that front. And he asked me a kind of a follow-up question. When the Seattle Seahawks lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots in 2014, when they clearly could have won the game by running the ball with beast mode Marshawn Lynch, instead they throw an interception, essentially forfeiting the game. Could this be a sign that professional sports, including games, trades, and the whole nine yards, are rigged to favor a certain outcome that could favor a particular team or person for profit? And that's a that's a really great question, very detailed question. And it's 
tough to answer it from all angles. I don't think the game, I don't think games are rigged. I'm just going to say that. I don't think that games are rigged. Um, the NFL may have a certain outcome in mind that would be best for them, but they're, they're not rigging a game. I think I really honestly believe that Pete Carroll wanted to give Russell Wilson all the glory, give him that game-winning touchdown, and he he failed. He, it bit him in the butt. He threw a pass on the two-yard line that should never have been thrown. Run the ball up the middle with beast mode. You win a championship. You win your second Super Bowl. They didn't do it. I think it was just a, a stupid and idiotic call, and they paid the price for it. I don't think the game was fixed, and I don't think professional games are fixed. I do think trades are fixed. A great example of a trade being fixed by a league is the Lakers and Pelicans back in 2011, where the Lakers tried to trade for Chris Paul. I don't remember all the details of the trade, but basically Andrew Bynum would have went um, to the which actually it wouldn't have been the Pelicans at the time. It would have been the Hornets, the New Orleans Hornets. Um, I believe Andrew Bynum was going to the Hornets. Uh, Lamar Odom would have been traded, I think, there as well. Pau Gasol may have went to uh, the Rockets. I think there was a third team getting involved. And then also the Lakers were going to get Dwight Howard from the Magic. So you would have had Chris Paul, Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, and I'm not sure with all the details who would have been kept on the Lakers and who would, who would have been traded away. But basically, the Lakers were forming a super team in L.A. with Chris Paul, Dwight Howard, and Kobe Bryant. And the trade was agreed to. The trade, like, the trade was agreed to. And the league denied it. The league said no. Because they didn't think the trade was fair. Whether they actually believe the trade was fair or not, I don't know. I think they just wanted to prevent the Lakers from being too good of a basketball team. That is a, a, a no, that's probably the number one trade in my book that was absolutely 100% rigged. Because I'm a huge fan of the Lakers. And I remember sitting at home, seeing the trade go through, and I was just unbelievably pump, pumped. That just one year removed from a title, from a a repeat title, 2009-2010, we have an off year 2011. We come back in 2012 with Chris Paul and Dwight Howard. We're title favorites. We could potentially match up with LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh in the finals. And the NBA, David Stern, took that away. A lot of people... A lot of people in the league thought it wasn't fair and so they vetoed the trade. I think trades are absolutely 100% rigged to a certain degree. I don't think games are rigged anymore. Anymore. I think games I think the leagues used to try to rig games back in the day and they don't do that anymore. I think stuff like the NBA draft lottery it has to be rigged because we we never see the ping pong balls being bounced around and being pulled to determine the order. We don't see it. So how do we know that the league is not intentionally 
rigging it to get a certain uh, to get a certain order that would be most interesting for the league. Like the New York Knicks had the the highest odds to get the first pick along with two other teams, and both teams were top three and below. The New Orleans Pelicans. This is why this is why it's rigged. This is rigged, Garrett. Okay. Pelicans had a, I think, outside top five shot of getting the first pick. They know that all of this stuff with Anthony Davis is swirling around and that they're going to have to trade him. The Lakers are trying to get Anthony Davis. They don't have great assets to get him. So they rig it to give LA the fourth pick, which is a very highly touted lottery pick. And then the Pelicans are going to be, who are going to be giving up a star get the number one pick overall so they can replace Anthony Davis with Zion Williamson. You get the fourth pick from the Lakers. You send Anthony Davis to the to the Lakers and the Pelicans are going to be good or maybe even better and the Lakers are going to get that superstar to pair with LeBron James. Absolutely rigged. That trade plus the Lakers-Chris Paul trade, Dwight Howard trade from 2011. Trades, 100% rigged to create the best ratings for the NBA, best situations, games are not rigged. I hope that is not too neutral of an answer. I believe there are two separate things and the NBA doesn't mess with one, but they do mess with the other. I think that is absolutely 100% true that the league forced uh, pushes teams to make certain deals and a prime example of denying a trade that they didn't think was fair with the Lakers. That I hope that's a great response for you, because and he wasn't joking with me, but he was also he was he was helping me out because he he didn't think that, that it was a a one sided answer, and he didn't think it was a great answer. And I agree. I don't think that a response I gave him was great, but I hope this kind of clears it up and wasn't too neutral. And there you go. I'll just leave it at that. So I hope that satisfies your question, G. Moore. All righty. So that'll do it for this Monday's episode, episode 71. Um, be sure to follow my Twitter account at the Will Ford Show. You can DM me, tweet at me, um, be watching for the episode links and things like that. Also follow my Facebook page at the Will Ford show. Ask me questions on there as well. I really highly encourage it looking to get more involved, um, with other forms of social media, maybe Instagram, Snapchat, things like that. Well, uh, we'll try to do something and also you know, be sure to follow the YouTube channel, trying to pump out videos with every podcast. Um, so be sure to follow that. Um, grinding out here, man. Loving every minute of it. Minute of it. Um, great stuff. So I'll see you guys in episode 72 at the end of the week. It's WFS. WFS.